welcome back to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the use of high-speed connectivity by pilots at Alaska Airlines with Brett Payton, who is the Director of Fleet Technology at Alaska Airlines. He will also be a panelist on our Operators Executive Panel at the upcoming 2019 Global Connected Aircraft Summit. Check out our website, gcasummit.com, for all of the updates on the latest speakers and agenda updates for the upcoming Global Connected Aircraft Summit, as well as to get the details about what our interview guest today is going to be talking about at the summit. So, Brett, thanks for joining us on today's podcast. If you could first just give us a little bit about your background and tell us exactly what does a director of fleet technology do at Alaska Airlines? Well, I'm a 737 captain. I've been at Alaska Airlines just uh, coming up on the 19-year point. I've been in the fleet technology department for eight years, and I've been the director for the last two years. Before that, I was in the fleet technology department. Alaska Airlines fleet technology is for both of our fleets. After our acquisition of Virgin America, we've got two fleets, as you know, at uh, Alaska Airlines now. So our department straddles both the Airbus fleet and the uh, Boeing fleet. Um, we have four full-time technical pilots who work in the department, five part-time technical pilots, and three full-time engineers who manage um, our programs. We have six main programs that we're responsible for in fleet technology. Our uh, proprietary satellite navigation program, the RMP program that Alaska Airlines owns. We do uh, program management for anything dealing with ADSB. Uh, we manage the Datacom program at Alaska Airlines for both fleets, uh, ACARS, AOC, and, uh, of course, the electronic flight bag, the iPad, uh, as well. And then the sixth, the sixth thing we manage is the future, and that's kind of a, a, a bucket of uh, responsibility that includes things like evaluating emerging technology, but it also includes all our committee work with the uh, national committees and uh, local committees we sit on navigation database checking and uh, procedure design in the public realm and the national airspace system. So we, you know, there's just uh, eight of us full time, but we have uh, quite a broad spectrum uh, that we manage. As far as the TASAR project, it sort of touched two of those buckets, didn't it? It's, it's both the electronic flight bag uh, area of responsibility as well as the future. So we're pretty excited about it moving forward. Right. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Tazar technology as that's exactly, you know, what we wanted to ask you about today. Um, I have been covering that, you know, just in, you know, kind of observing Alaska's adoption of that technology from NASA uh, over the last few years. And, you know, just last week saw kind of a big announcement from a company called API Jet that they'll be looking to carry that development forward into an application application developed for Alaska Airlines. So could you maybe just give us some background about what TASAR is and what's happening now with it? I know you all have it under flight trial, but, you know, what is it and, and what are you all doing with it right now? Yeah, great, uh, great question and uh, plenty of uh, really interesting background to the, to the project. So one thing about NASA, and so TASAR is a NASA-funded uh, program. Ironically enough, NASA had chosen two airlines to uh, evaluate the TASAR route optimization software um, 
on, and that was Virgin America and Alaska Airlines. Somewhere in the uh, run-up to the uh, program kickoff, uh, Alaska Airlines acquired Virgin America, and so we wound up with just one airline at that point. And at that point, we decided to uh, trial the software just on one fleet, and that would be our Boeing 737-900ER uh, fleet. Um, in collaboration with United Technologies and GoGo, uh, we um, undertook an effort to equip three of those tails with UTAS uh, aircraft interface devices. And so that's an important piece to the conversation here. Um, the software is, is very robust and powerful, but it does require processing power that's well beyond um, what an iPad itself could do. And uh, there's also some security, uh, information security things in there that you want uh, an aircraft interface device in the middle helping, helping, uh, helping the, the software compute. And so um, that, that was a linchpin is having an aircraft interface device supplier uh, collaborate on this project. So that was about three years ago. And uh, there were a lot of <laughs> technical uh, challenges uh, to, to having the connected aircraft, the GoGo system, talk to the United Technologies AID and then making sure the software worked. But uh, we got through it as a team, and it was uh, a, a true team effort with the, the three, the four entities there. That would be NASA, UTAS, Alaska, and GoGo. Um, so, so that's that was kind of the framework to start the operational trial. The operational trial uh, began a little over a year ago. We've had 130 some flights with the software on uh, pilot iPads, and then being sort of run again on that AID. The software itself is hosted in the AID. Uh, the aircraft that we chose were all uh, connected via the air-to-ground network for GoGo. We're in the middle of switching. To the uh, GoGo 2KU network, and so um, so we know the software works even on on a less uh, sort of a less effective air-to-ground network. So that's good. And then what I said right there is important. What what we learned through the operational trial is that the software works. It takes into consideration special use airspace, uh, any weather that's out there, ADS-B in traffic, um, and uh, near real-time wind updates. Uh, and that's where the AID computes uh, a better solution for the pilots to fly both vertically and laterally uh, along their original route of flight. Or it computes that no solution is available. And there's some we've, we've uh, kind of stumbled on some very interesting use cases, if you will, benefit buckets to, uh, to the software. But we, we can uh, talk about that a little bit later. Um, the operational trial just ended April 30th. Uh, we, out of those 120-some uh, flights, we have 100 very good ones where the software worked perfectly. This is, we, we kind of internally call it a science project. So, I mean, the software's new. It's, it's like uh, any new piece of software. There's, there's stability issues at the beginning, but our effort with NASA, they've been, they were excellent to work with. The front line of NASA was excellent to work with on the project. And then that's, that's how we got to API Jet. So the whole... The whole uh, charge for NASA, and uh, a lot of people forget the first day at NASA is for aeronautics, not space, aeronautics, um, is take public funding and incubate good ideas and get them out into the, into the private sector. And um, that's what we saw with TASAR. And so Alaska Airlines being in the middle of that and pushing it forward is pretty exciting. But API Jet um, is the software arm of API. Uh, they're the uh, company that makes the winglets for all Boeing uh, 737 NGs that are flying around out there if they're equipped. 
and um, their software arm uh, has been a pleasure to deal with as we've uh, started our commercial development trial, which is taking the NASA software and seeing if it can work in a, in a commercial environment, seeing if, seeing if we can operationalize that software. And so that's where we're at today. And so the, the API JET announcement that you read was about taking it out of the science project phase and um, seeing if we can get a good commercial product that uh, Alaska Airlines and all airlines can use. I see. Yeah, and it's a you know it was really uh, interesting in the sort of announcement about it about this new partnership was they described it as sort of a uh, ways for flying like the the uh, smartphone driving application ways which kind of reroutes you to the best uh, you know route for if you're driving from one location to another is that what this technology will kind of bring to Alaska's pilots as you all, you know, continue to develop and, and kind of perfect it over the next years or so? Um, you know, will, will they be able to see in near real time on a route how they could adjust, just like you said, if, if a new option is available to them? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so that's a, it's a good analogy. Um, and it's, it's a very easy one for everyone to understand that um, the, the ways analogy. Um, that's exactly right. And so what we've learned in the software, just like Waze, sometimes Waze says, hey, go your regular route to work today. It's good. Um, the software does that too. And so you remember, you know, at a, at a part 121 operator, at a, at an airline with dispatchers, the dispatchers do an excellent job of planning the flight in the uh, hour and a half or hour or, uh, you know, before the flight, but it's, it's a flight plan. And then you get out in the world in situ, if you will, and then things can change. The weather might not pan out exactly how um, it was forecast to, or it may be exactly right. And so we, through our trial, through the NASA portion of the trial and then moving forward with the commercial development trial of API Jet, we've identified four main areas that, um, that, that pilots are, are likely to uh, be able to use the software on. Now, one thing to remember, pilots and dispatchers already operate in an optimization culture. We want a fully optimized flight. We don't like arriving late or out of gas. And so those, those, that tenant remains very true. What, what KSAR does is just brings a, a tool in the toolkit and then back to your ways thing, just like I just want to get to work on time, uh, this, this software can, can help with that. Um, and those, those four main areas, the, the big one is a home run, and that's, that's when, uh, I'll give you a, a specific example. A, a home run case would be uh, a flight was planned with a lot of track miles around a weather system that didn't fully develop or developed a little bit differently with a hole in the middle that a pilot can get through. And the software is out there scanning. It's, you can almost think of it like a radar. It's just out there kind of looking, 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 doing, doing uh, continuous iterations on, on those, four, those four things, uh, wind, Special use airspace, ADSB, and weather uh, the weather systems uh, that are out there, and it's trying to find a safe route with all four of those considerations in there, and a more efficient route. And you can optimize for both time and fuel, or either one. Or so you can optimize for time, you can optimize for fuel, or you can optimize for both. And you can set the parameters of the software to present solutions to the pilots uh, only in certain cases. Um, so the home run bucket is, I, I've been planned around a big uh, thunderstorm, uh, let's say, and it didn't develop fully, and the software 
cuts me through the middle and cuts off significant track miles. So I have significant time and fuel savings. That's, that's a home run. So that, that one's obvious. And so is the second one, which is small cumulative gains on a long flight. I, I can cut the corner a few times where maybe, uh, maybe I wouldn't have if the flight plan, if I'd stayed on my flight plan and the software can help uh, the pilots identify that. Uh, the, the third one is uh, I've deviated around thunderstorms that weren't forecast, and now I'm so far away from my original plan, I need to find the most efficient route back, back to my original airport. Think of it like snapping a new talk line, okay? Snapping a new uh, vertical and lateral uh, plan to get, get to my airport with uh, the most efficiently. And so that's, we call that one post-tactical optimization. That's, that's where I've gone completely off the plan, and now I need to get, get home with as much fuel and uh, as on time as I can. And then the last benefit bucket is the most interesting, and I would argue this is the one <clears throat> that is that is the game changer out of them all. And this we call this one the validation bucket, and that is don't do anything. The software is not finding any solution. So pilots uh, have always, there's kind of a mindset that if you go directly to your destination and go as high as you can, if you always do that, you're always saving fuel. Well, that's not always true. And although we have an optimization culture, sometimes we, we, we've found that maybe we've been doing it wrong. Maybe there are other ideas out there that are better, and maybe the dispatcher planned you exactly right that day. And it happens quite often, actually, where the, the software says, don't do anything. And that changes pilot behavior at that point. And at that point, now, now you're talking about uh, the tool and the toolkit that everybody trusts and everybody can use to always be on the most efficient route. This is, uh, this is why we're so excited about it. You have less carbon emissions, you have less fuel burn, uh, passengers arrive more on time than they maybe would have, and it's just uh, it's kind of the trifecta for us. I see. Yeah, and you know, that, that kind of brings me to my uh, next question, which was just, you know, as you, as you mentioned earlier, you all are transitioning from a air-to-ground to satellite-based connectivity network and really uh, wanted to get your perspective on how that connectivity, high-speed connectivity on your fleet, plays into not only Tazar, but just overall operational for you all. You know, how is having that access to high-speed connectivity just improving overall efficiency for your flight operations? Yeah, well, I mean, you you know, you, you hit it on the head there. I mean, there is uh, unlimited potential with the satellite connectivity. So as I told you, the three the three tails, the three seven thirty seven nine hundred ERs we're using for the trial uh, and for the commercial development trial are are not equipped with satellites. So we haven't tested it on that, but we've done some other testing on the ten or so airplanes we do have that are now equipped. And by the way, Alaska Airlines would be fully two uh, KU satellite connected uh, planned by the by the end of 2020. So we have a rapid, um, and that's both on the Airbus and the Boeing side. So we have a rapid uh, retrofit. And then all of our new deliveries uh, that are coming in the out years will be equipped with satellites. So it's where everything is going. And, and we're not the only ones. It, you know, every, every airline is, most every airline is moving to this satellite connected um, solution. And it's, it's, it's a real game changer. So the software works on the air to ground network, but Boy, it, it, it could it could use a bigger data pipe, and so can everything. And when you're starting to talk about the bandwidth that uh, satellite connectivity brings to an aircraft, and it's not just to mom and the kids in the back who are watching movies, but also to the flight deck and the flight attendants and the crew, uh, you can you can do health monitoring uh, where you're 
you're allowing your maintenance folks to see real time things on the airplane. You can you can host software and have it do much many many more things. You know, we have a roadmap for the software that includes more features than just or more inputs than just the four inputs that I mentioned earlier. You know, you can have real time crowdsourced weather radar, crowdsourced uh, turbulence, and and 2KU satellite connectivity unlocks all of that. So we're pretty excited to to uh, be moving that direction at Alaska Airlines. I see. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so maybe this is the last question for you. Um, over the next year or so, um, are there any specific aspects related to TASAR or uh, just the overall use, like you said, of air-to-ground or satellite connectivity um, that you will be focused on improving for your, you know, section of, of Alaska Airlines? Yeah, and really this is where the... API jet, excuse me, the API jet um, relationship comes into play because we, we have a good uh, framework to build a better user experience for the pilots on, and API jet's going to take us that way. So really, it's just the user interface that we're going to focus on, and then in the back end, making make sure the software is robust enough to work all the time and flawlessly. Because what, what you don't want with a piece of software is a rollout where it's, it's not ready for prime time, and the exciting way we can change pilot culture just goes to the wayside if, if pilots don't trust the technology. And so that's really what we're focused on this over this next, you know, six months to a year is, is getting the software built out so the user experience is good, so the pilot is intuitive, it's much more intuitive and easy to use, and then just so the software is stable and uh, really presents good solutions and, and works. So that's, that's where 90% of our focus is going to be as we uh, as we move into this commercial development trial phase. Okay, I see. All right, well, thank you, Brett Payton, Director of Fleet Technology at Alaska Airlines. Thanks for joining us on the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast today. Thanks for having me, Woodrow. I appreciate it. Okay. And that's it for today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts so you can get new episodes as soon as they are released. We have some great interviews planned within the next coming weeks and months that you won't want to miss. And for more information about the Global Connected Aircraft Summit coming up in June, go to GCASummit.com. So we hope to see you there. My name is Woodrow Bellamy, and thanks again for tuning in to the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast.